We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Today is May 27th, and um, we have to be intentional, I think, about how I. You guys' names are both Will D. This is going to be very <laughs> difficult. That Will DeBerg has been on this podcast, assistant uh, coach at the University of St. Thomas. I do. I have to call you DeBerg. Is that or is this going to just you, man? That's your, I never call you DeBerg. <laughs> that's your call. On my right, um, Will Dunn, who is uh, assistant coach with the Houston Rockets, uh, specifically the video coordinator there. Mm-hmm. Will, you're back in town for or done? That's, see, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. It's just going to be Will's. We're just got to figure it out. That's fine. You're back in town. NBA shut down um, because of, of the coronavirus. Yep. What has uh, this kind of break looked like for you from a from sort of a team perspective yeah. and? Um, you know, and then just individually. Yeah, so it's been uh, it's been unique. It's been my first. So this is my first season with the Rockets. I, I spent some time in the G League before, and then with the Lynx in the WNBA uh, over the summer. And so it was kind of a, a wild ride to get thrown into this season um, as my first year. Um, but it kind of the way it happened. Actually, I'll tell a quick story. Um, we were on a flight out to LA to yeah. play the Lakers, um, and we were. Literally, this is like right before the, the shutdown. No, yeah, like literally you're about to hear it <laughs> right when it happened. So we were literally in the air. It was like 6 o'clock maybe. We were supposed to get into L.A. at like 10 p.m. And uh, two hours into the flight, we're about halfway. It's Houston to L.A. is a long flight. And we're on the Wi-Fi, scrolling through Twitter. And the news breaks about Rudy Gobert and the Jazz. And <laughs> we're like, what's going on here? So something's going to probably come out from this. Like, right. So we're literally on the flight when – the season got suspended. The tweet came out, Shams broke it, yeah. whoever, and the, and the season got suspended, and we made a U-turn in midair and <laughs> no turned around and Is came back safe? to Houston uh, 
two hours later. So we wow. landed back in Houston at 10 p.m. instead of L.A., um, which was pretty crazy. So, and then what is it from there? You're yeah. So then from there on, we kind of we kind of hung out in Houston for like a week and waited to see what was going to happen. And um, it just seemed like it was going to be a long, more of a longer process than we thought originally. So I ended up I ended up driving up here to Minnesota with my family, but or to be with my family. But from a team standpoint, stuff we've been doing is we've been doing like a lot of um, kind of trying to check the boxes for the offseason stuff. And then I've been doing some personal, like, individual film sessions with some of our players and stuff like that, guys that want to watch some film. Um, it might be something as simple as a guy says, hey, will you, will you send me our game against Denver or will you send me our game against the Clippers? Sure. Or it could be more hands-on, like doing some Zoom meetings with guys, going over some stuff that we think they can get better at, that kind of thing. Um, and then just kind of like some special projects here and there for our, our front office and for our coaching staff. Um, so still pretty busy. Various different things. Yeah, I, I'm still keeping, you know, I'm definitely doing a few hours of stuff every day, but it's also a lot of downtime. And coming from, like <laughs> I mentioned, I was in Fort Wayne uh, last bas- last winter, fall season, straight to the Lynx and then straight to the Rockets. So it was like back-to-back-to-back seasons. And then now in the middle of a season, just getting like – Now you get vacation. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like I for the first month, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like uneasy. That's the feeling that you feel like you got to be yeah. doing something all the time. And um, Well, I think well, – I mean, Will and I have talked about that, yeah. that too. I mean, I don't – not to, to subtract from that, but I think that's just, you know, the reality for sure for, for any of us. Particularly, I think all three of us work in jobs that don't have traditional like, you know, nine-to-five schedule. You mm-hmm. guys in coaching and me in, in covering the league is it's just – you know, it's just you kind of get used to that chaos. Would you say that's fair with you in in your position? Yeah. Berg? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think you, and that's why I think to Will's point, the first month, like the first thirty yeah. days, were incredibly weird because you never have a you never have like a thirty day window like that where basketball is just shut down. Like there's, yeah. you always have some sort whether it's the draft or free agency or playoff. Like there's always something mm-hmm. basketball related, and so those first thirty days, it was just like everybody was on pause kind of looking at each other like when do we like when is this going to end and I think for me at least I don't know about you guys the first like March felt like a year like from whenever the Gobert stuff that's how I measure it from the Gobert announcement mm-hmm. but then I felt like April was like April that. and May for sure so it's it's been weird how slow it felt at first now it just yeah. feels like you know we're already almost in June and mm-hmm. hopefully basketball is not too far away mm-hmm. so we, we should get into what the connection that the two of you guys have I met Will Dunn through Will DeBerg because <laughs> Will DeBerg, who were Will Dunn's uh, college coach um, back, I guess you talked about your coaching career, mm-hmm. but before that, um, you, you started your college career, correct, at Purdue, Fort Wayne? Correct. And and then transferred to St. Thomas. That was the, the connection for you two? Yes. No, we, actually, so, we, go, we go back yeah. farther than that. Okay. So he, Will played, probably know that. <laughs> Will played traveling basketball all growing up, fourth, fifth, all the way growing up uh, with my little brother. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. same team. So our families became close, and Jeez. so I've known Will since he was probably. Yeah, third, I mean, we grade. probably lived. Our families probably lived five minutes yeah. apart our whole childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, Will was a few years ahead of me. Eddie Dina. I ended up going to Benild. Sure. But uh, you know, we played against each other or like adjacent to each other our whole careers basically. And then I went off to Purdue Fort Wayne, like you mentioned. Um, and Will was at St. Thomas playing. And then I think I just missed you by a year or two when I transferred back. You were had just graduated. Yep. Um, and then you went to France so to his, play. His first year at St. Thomas was my year in France. Playing so we, yes, France, yeah. playing. But but Will was also a big 
conduit for why I felt comfortable transferring back to St. Thomas in the first place because right. I know I trust Will and he knew the staff. Mm -hmm. He spoke glowingly of the staff and it was just like a no-brainer at that point. Is it funny to just kind of, <laughs> I guess, it's got to be for, for it, you, Will, well, to, to look back at and now you're like, oh. It well. kind of comes full circle because then my first year on staff was his senior year yes. at St. Yeah. Thomas. So Will was a senior captain for us my mm -hmm. first year coaching. So just it was kind of cool that it all sort of culminates into – me coaching Will in college. Yeah. So it was, we had it was a blast. Fun. Yeah. We had a blast that year. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. It is just kind of funny how I think for, in, in a different way for me, you, you do start to kind of see how, how small these, these things are. And Will, I met you at, at summer league. Mm -hmm. Like, a, was that, that was the first time you guys met, right? I, that was, I'm, yeah. I was thinking about mm -hmm. that. It was that. Yeah. Let's tell that story. It so, was the week we went out to Vegas for summer league. Right? That you was, and I did. Was that 2017? Summer you 2017? You guys had never met before that, right? I think that, I think that was the summer after I graduated from St. Thomas? Yep, it was. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, yep. it, was, it was my first time at Summer uh -huh. League, too, and I, we were all kind of looking for jobs in basketball yeah. and, you know, just kind of just heard that, uh, you know, Summer League is the, the place to, you know, to do networking. Obviously, you two for more for coaching and me yeah. for, for media-wise. I was um, not networking there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there for too long. I think I was there that – I. I was like, I'm just going. I'm going for like, a, I stayed for like 11 days. And so you guys were like a, a three one, day one, yeah, yeah, we were, one, we were quick in, quick out, which was probably the best thing for, for both of us. That's at that always, point. that's always, yeah. Didn't check into our hotel until five in the morning that first yeah, night. Yeah, that's right. Not yeah, that was crazy. Going out already, that was your flight. No, right? yeah, we got no, in. It, well, we, we got we in had late. hotel issues. <laughs> we, had, we got in at like, I want to say 10 p.m. ish. Yeah, and we would have been fine. Like, we would have gotten checked into our room and maybe gone and played a little some cards or yeah. something like that but there was some issues with the hotel so then we kind of were homeless for the night and then we ended up staying with you that first night yep. yeah and we didn't get there till that 3 a.m mgm if yeah. i recall right I, yeah well i was just I mean, so i i didn't have a a full-time job in in media so i was just paying my own way mm -hmm. so i remember i was like i did the whole whole hotel thing where it's i just kind of bounced around the strip of like different places yep each time it was like, which one is the cheapest? And hotels in Vegas are actually like, if you're just going there to stay at hotels, yeah. like you can. Oh yeah. But the one you that you had, beg you to come stay at there. Somebody like hooked you. Who was it that, like a massive Timberwolves fan, like paid? Oh no no no! The <laughs> first night that we stayed in, remember? Oh, we didn't. We didn't stay there. We went to. We did go to MGM. Now I'm now I'm remembering. The first it. night yeah. that Will and I slept there was. It was at MGM. At MGM yep. in that really nice hotel room. Yeah, I don't know if I was. I don't know. It's, I'm telling you, I literally was. At, I stayed at like yeah. four different different places, but this one had like two floors. And was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now no, I'm now I remember beautiful. it. Now Pool remember. table. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, I mean, I guess just to kind of that point, it's obviously you work in the NBA now, and so literally 2017. That's not that long ago. No. You had, you you did not have any sort of connection. So you're you're going in and you're going into the G League. Yep. Then it's a job this past summer as the video coordinator of the Minnesota Lynx. Yes. And and then that just, I'm assuming the connections all there. It's it is just networking. It is just yeah. knowing somebody who kind so, of knows. And I'm yeah. not saying you don't have any the, the skills to be able to do the no, job. But those are those are the sort of the dots you have to. Yeah. To connect. Every, everyone knows like you got to at least kind of have some sort of connection. You might not have – your uncle might not be Greg Popovich, right? <laughs> but, like, you need to probably have somebody that can introduce you to somebody at some right. point. I was lucky. Um, so I grew up uh, – w I went to school with Jim Peterson's stepson, Sanjay Lumpkin. Sanjay, yeah, Hawkins um, guy. Yep. And uh, so we were good friends throughout mm -hmm. our whole childhood. And uh, Jim obviously coached with the Lynx, worked with the Wolves, and um, he was instrumental in me getting getting in with the Lynx. Right. Um, 
as far as the Fort Wayne job, I pl- like you mentioned, I played college basketball out in Fort Wayne. Um, right. And I had met some people that had worked for the Mad Ants prior to that. And then my coaches that were still coaching at Purdue Fort Wayne at the time um, knew this, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants staff well, too. So it kind of came back to those connections a little bit. And I kind of reached out and said, what, what's available? Is there anything I could be doing? And they had an internship. So I got an internship with them. And then um, Jim helped me out that summer. I came back, lived up in Minneapolis, and, and got with the Lynx. And I had a blast with the Lynx. Uh, Cheryl Reeves, an incredible coach. Um, that whole staff, Claire DeWillius, all those people, they're great. Um, so I always tell people, like, I learned as much with the Lynx as – like, more as much or more with the Lynx than, than with uh, the Mad Ants. So, um, so I would assume that that's really where you had to kind of hone in the actual video correct. watching sort of skill. Yeah. And, and I, we should just sort of – say here that there's only so much you can talk about now with the Houston Rockets, sure. you know, in this season. So we're going to kind of try and focus in on Will DeBerg, your, your experiences as a coach, I know playing overseas mm-hmm. and, and you will done <laughs> this out. just kind of talking about what it, yeah. what it is like to, you know, to, to hone in on that. Cause I, I even just think for, for me, you know, in, in my car- career doing this, I, I've found that something to be really valuable to, to focus in on, mm-hmm. but it is very much like a process to whether it's just the technology or, or learning, yeah. learning how to, to sort of, you know, consume film. Like what, I guess for both of you guys, what is that? Like, what did that process learn? I, for me, it was, it's all just guess and check, just watch as much as you can and, right. and sort of figure it out. But what, what is, what is kind of that process of, of gathering? Deberg, I'll let you, uh, I don't want to filibuster too long here. I'll let you take over for a second. I, I mean, for me, I guess the biggest thing that I've had to learn is like, obviously I knew that like coaches watch film. Like it's, <laughs> it's not a secret, but like how much detail goes into it and how, instead of just like watching a game and like taking notes on the other team, it's like the amount of like individual player detail, a team detail situations. Um, like you think a game lasts 40 minutes. Like I can just watch 40 minutes yeah. and be done watching film. But like, there's so much more that goes into like you replay things back and forth. And so for me, the biggest thing that I've had to learn is just the amount of time that goes into it. And like the attention to detail, detail that, yeah. that, that requires to, I guess, be successful at it. it. A frustration I have in the media world is, is, and I know there, there is a lot of pressure and I, I felt this pressure too, to be somebody who's like tweeting during the game and, and to be, to be doing those sort of things. And I like, quite honestly, I kind of get it. Like, to be able to quote unquote make it like you got to get followers, you got to do that. You're Mm -hmm. providing all that, but it's, it's really this past season. I made it like a more intentional to, I became more intentional about not ever tweeting. Well, like when the game was going on, Mm -hmm. so as to not actually be, you know, missing the game, you know, you're looking down at your computer Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm telling I'm media row. There's a lot of people looking down at the computer the whole time and and you're missing things. And I know I've missed things before because I think back two years ago, when I was really just trying to like spam out tweets the whole time, mm. like I gathered a lot more on the second watch back, but it's, I just think it is, it's, it's that attention yeah. to detail and being able to like and notice and things materializing. Like, and I don't know if it's the same for you, Will, but like during a game, I'll find myself like locked in on one thing. I'll watch what mm. the team's doing defensively or offensively. I'll be locked in on just one little thing and then I'll go back and rewatch our game and I'll be like, I to be honest with you, I do not remember that play. I just, <laughs> well, I, I was paying right. attention to such a finite detail that the the possession. So I this just, is you on the bench, on the bench, yeah. like in the heat of a game. I'll be focusing either on our team, like watching one of our guys, or on mm-hmm. their team, watching what they're doing. 
such a specific detail, like a call that they have or if they're switching off the ball, if they're switching an on-ball screen, something very, right. you know, detailed, um, I'll go back and watch our game and I'll be like, I don't remember that position. Yeah. So to Will's point, a lot of the times the way some of these coaching staffs works is you have a guy like Will who's got a specific role during the game. So right. I don't know if you do or don't or how you guys break it up over there at UST nowadays, but we'll have guys that are doing certain things on the bench. One guy's got an iPad tracking something. One guy's sure. calling, checking the play calls, that kind of thing. So you're in that kind of that tunnel vision. For me, I'm in the back. So, so being the video coordinator, I'm in the back coding the game while it's happening. And so for whatever – for that means like I'm basically – I have our software up. I'm recording the game, and I'm tagging certain things for our coaches so they can have it afterwards. So and like, What about at halftime? Yeah, yeah, for halftime too. We'll watch a halftime edit every single game, mm-hmm. um, usually – you know, four to eight plays, usually defensive-based stuff. Right. Um, but, like, if while I'm tagging, I'm tagging the previous play, it's hard to see every <laughs> single thing that <laughs> right. happens the next sure. play. So if, I, if you don't go back, like, I'll always go and do a rewatch that night or the next morning. Mm-hmm. And I think to another point, something really important with being able to get good at watching film is you have to be able to rewind. You have to be able to run yeah. it back three, yeah. four, or five times really quickly. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like, you're not going to take six hours out of your day to watch one game, right? Yeah. So you got to be able to – you know, oh, I got to see that play again. Quick rewind. Okay, go through it, whatever. But um, that's you, a really important Are you, piece. when you're watching, is the majority of the time you're just watching full games? Uh, it just Versus depends. Like uh, synergy where it's like yeah. spliced up. Yeah. Um, so, like, if I'm trying to get a feel for what a team's running and that kind of stuff, then it'll be a full game, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But if it's I'm putting together a personnel edit for one of our players to watch on the sure. opposing team, it'll be like I can go on to second spectrum, I can go on to synergy, and I can find, you know, the 20 best clips that encapsulate or the 10 best clips that encapsulate what this player is going to do, what they do well, what we're trying to take away from them. Do you watch any opposing teams' film? Or are you all, all – Yep, you yep. Do. So, so uh, I, I kind of ping back and forth between the offensive and defensive side, but I'm primarily in all the defensive meetings. And so – We'll always go through and watch. I'll, I'll typically – I'm kind of the first uh, entry point for the for the film. So I get the film to the rest of the assistant coaches. So I'll go through and I'll watch all their stuff, watch what they're yeah. running, all that kind of stuff. I'll give it to the assistant coach who's responsible for the scout. And then that scout, that the guy, the assistant coach that does the scout, gives that to our defensive coordinator per se, gotcha. um, who then kind of presents it to have the you players. Ever, have you ever messed up and gotten – like yelled at. <laughs> um, I feel like that's just got to be a little bit of an intimidating role. No, it's, first, it's a right? lot of pressure, especially because – so I'm the only video guy. Right. True, I'm the only true video guy on our staff. So we have a, a guy or two that will help out. Um, but there is a lot of pressure, especially on game on game nights where you got James Harden and Russell Westbrook there and all the other guys we have on our team. A lot of that's a lot of, a lot of really good players. Um, they have their routines. They have their stuff that they go through. And you don't want to mess with their routines on game <laughs> night like – you know what I mean? So right. if something's not working, if the volume's not working, uh, if the <laughs> text doesn't show up on the – if the video's not playing back, whatever, it's it's kind of falls on me. So I'm I'm in there all day doing checks, doing test runs, doing all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, there's been a couple times where James has made fun of me a little bit when uh, something's not working perfectly or, or the remote won't work and one of our assistant coaches kind of, you know, jabs me a little bit. But it's been pretty smooth for the most part. They're all good. So When do players watch film? It's a good question. So I think everyone's kind of different with their habits. I think the most important thing is just that they're doing it. Um, sometimes a guy will tell me either before the game or after the game, hey, I need an iPad with this, this, and this on it. Um, and some people like to watch a ton of it. Some people like to watch, I just want to see all my shots. Some people will say, I just want to see, 
you know, all the defensive possessions, whatever. Uh, some, some like PJ Tucker may ask me if he can see all the possessions he guarded, Kevin Durant, for example, um, something like that, a certain matchup. Um, but they'll usually get it. I'll give an iPad to them and they'll take it home and watch it either that night or the next morning or whatever. Um, sometimes I'll send it to like a player's email address and they just have it for whenever they can watch it. A lot of times, I'd say probably the most common is the plane because we have long plane rides. The players are watching a lot of film on those plane rides. A lot of times that's like the, the only chance guys can really have to watch film because you, you get in to the, uh, the city at like 3 a.m. You're not staying up to watch film at that point. So you're going to bed the next day, the next prep for the next game starts. So a right. lot of times it's that one to three, four hour plane ride that they can watch film on. I feel like there's this like perception maybe from the outside that in an organization that there's stats guys and that there's films, film guys. And I guess just from the conversations I've had, that couldn't like be less true that the, the stat people are more so, helping inform decisions and decisions are so often about what is actually, you know, happening in the play. But I guess if we are to kind of bifurcate that out, you are in the film area. And then I'm sure obviously Mm -hmm. Houston famous for uh, analytics department, but is it, I mean, is there just a lot more overlap there than. Yeah. So I think the way we do it in Houston and I'm not going to get too specific on it, but like it's such a small staff that we're talking to each other every single day the front office guys are always down in the coaching room. I'm always like all of a lot of the coaches are up in the front office area. Like there's, there's so much conversation that goes on every day. And, and like, it's, it's, it's really one, it's really all just one big group of guys making decisions because like it's, like you said, it's so intertwined. It's so, it's so hard to untangle all that anyway. Like it usually ends up, you come to the same conclusion just by different ways or, or you end up, you're looking, you're saying the same thing just in different language. So, um, I don't know. JT, I know JT's a big, big stats guy. How does that work for you guys? Well, does he is he like always talking numbers with you guys, or is he just mainly? Yeah, I mean phone? he he's got a few stats that he focuses on, um, like our turnovers, yeah. and our rebounds. I would say are the two biggest things, and then defensive field goal percentage. I feel like he would always hit on like free throws taken versus yeah. free throws allowed he has to a, or he something has a like saying that. that we we want to make more free throws yeah. than, than the other team attempts mm-hmm. um so we kind of use that as like a like a blueprint i guess for how we run our offense um but yeah he he's obviously a numbers guy i don't think he he, do, he does a really good job of like he studies them a lot but he doesn't like project Beat them on everybody the and yeah. like you know make sure like the guy he doesn't want players like checking the box score and being like oh, i was a, you know. and and like to be clear, like that is that's kind of the more normal in the NBA too. It's right. not like these players are not inundated with stats. Like right. they are not. Because you don't want them. Th- you don't want them thinking. No. Like you want them just out there playing and and not worrying about. And numbers. it's like, I mean, quite frankly, I talked to them. A lot of them don't even you know like quote unquote advanced stats. Like a lot of the players don't even know what that is. Like it's not. It's just not in the vernacular. It's it is. It's kind of about like distilling it down to something that, like, achieves in advanced stats, like, mm-hmm. yeah. more, uh, you know, making more free throws than the other team right. mm-hmm. attempts. It's just because there is something, like, so clinical about, like, the, the spreadsheet and all that that doesn't totally translate, I feel like, for a, from a player perspective. Right. That you, like, yeah, there's a time and a place to, like, break that all the way down with them, but in but in the flow of a game, you're more – or season or week or whatever, you're just kind of trying to set sort of objectives that achieve the goal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I know we have to be careful about Houston, but I, I do think it's, it's, there is this parallel 
um, here that that I you and I have talked about before, Wildberg, about about just how St. Thomas is um, just has objectively been one of the most dominant D three programs in in the entire nation, and because of that, you guys are moving on to be a D one team. Yet, you know, in the games I've I've watched before, or, you know, or watching back in the day, it's you guys have always played small. Yeah, you, you've you've always been a team that prioritize that, and you know, a part of that is you know you kind of have a little bit of a restricted market because you're recruiting D3 players right. versus like versus everyone. But at the same time, that market's pretty open. You guys are one of the best Division three programs in the country, so you should be able to be kind of having your pick of the litter of those of those caliber of players. Yet, even just compared to your conference, you guys yeah. are, are smaller. So, again, there's there's the, the Houston is, is definitely yeah. – obviously, we know is, is doing that at that level. But, but like, what is, what is the – what is the basketball sort of advantage you found there, whether it be simply just kind of like confusion versus just optimizing what you guys do? Well, it's funny because we actually, so our starting center this year was like six foot, Tommy Anderson mm-hmm. was like six three, which mm-hmm. even for a relatively small team in Division Three, like that is tiny. Really like small. That's yeah. like, yeah, it's tiny. So we actually referenced Houston all the time, hmm. um, just as far as like, you know, we're going to switch a lot on defense. We're going to shoot a lot of threes because that's one of right. our strengths. We're going to play to our strengths. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's – it's if you have – and this is just a simple basketball term. Yeah. This isn't like a groundbreaking take. But, like, if you have five guys on the floor who can shoot, including your center, it's just really hard to guard. Because, mm-hmm. like, t- typically a team's going to have a big center who doesn't move his feet that well. So our strength was kind of going five out. Everybody can shoot. Um I think we set a school record this year for three-point attempts and probably makes, mm-hmm. I would guess, because we, we shot it pretty well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't, we, we, it was fun because Will came back a couple times and spoke to our team, and, like, we didn't intentionally, like, be like, we're going to be like the Rockets because we mm-hmm. have a connection there, but it was just sort of the style we, we adopted. Right, and it existed, well, it right. probably existed when you played at St. Right. Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. for and sure. I mean, we were bigger than, we were a little bit bigger than you guys were last year, and we had we had a couple good bigs, <laughs> but it wasn't like we had any, had any 6'10", 6'11 yeah. guys. Like, it was 6'6", six, 6'5". Six, right. six, um, we were always somewhat small, and, playing a lot of shooters. And a lot of times at the Division three level, you get smaller players because the, t- the Division one schools and the Division two schools with scholarships will take their flyers and offer scholarships to a kid who's 6'9", or 6'10", which – then in, in return, like, d- diminishes the amount of big guys that we can recruit. Right. So there's a lot more guards and wings available for us. Um, Do you think it's something that, that like, that's just your way? Like, and you will, you will play that way for – No, I think what Coach Tower, I think his best, as long as he's the head coach there, his best strength is his adaptability. Mm-hmm. Whatever he, whatever our strength that year, that season is, right. he's going to – and I think Will would probably agree with it. Mm-hmm. If we're huge, if one year we happen to get a bunch of big guys, he's going to change the way right. we play. It is, it is interesting. Because I think – yeah. not to cut you off, but, like, I think there are a bunch of teams and coaches who have, like, their way. Yeah, They're going to sure. play this way it's almost, no matter yeah. what. I think what, what Coach Tower does a great job of doing is, like, every year he's going to look at the roster and say what system, whether it's mm-hmm. playing 12 guys and pressing – or playing six guys like you on your national championship mm-hmm. team, um, and he just does a great job of like molding based on who he has. For sure, it's so like I, I think Houston has has kind of been labeled that way of like that that they are a, a small ball team and like almost have been because they shot all these threes, and then they're also like with that has like come in the perception that Houston plays fast 
but Houston doesn't play fast. And Houston also has played a big in, in Clint Capella. You know, it's been, it was like James Harden's most successful offensive partner for, you know, the mm-hmm. past few years. And what Daryl Morey has said, uh, just in listening back to his, his podcast he did with Zach Galone, he's like, no, we're, this is how we're choosing to play right now. Mm-hmm. And and it and it can kind of and it should evolve. I think I think you're right. Like that is that is the way is you you adjust your style of play and the players you're playing, how big or small they are, to how they all kind of melt together. And it just seems like something that is so like kind of kind of getting obvious now that that's the way it should be. But you, I just you know going back and watching the Last Dance and stuff. Yeah. With these teams, it's like oh no, like we need a seven footer. We need our bruising power forward. Yeah. You need your, like, defensive small forward. Your shooting guard has to be able to be your scorer and your mm-hmm. point guard is your distributor. And it's like, oh, my God, think about it. It, it literally changes in the NBA. And good team to good team, how different that is. Is there one the team – is there – everyone points to the Rockets now. But, like, is there one team where that – they just, like, flipped the switch and they, they didn't go traditionally? Because going back to the last dance, it did feel like every team had a, a facilitating yeah. point guard – a big center who didn't leave the paint, and then just like fewer. Right, like, so, like, who is the first so who is the first team to, team to be, like, be like, oh, this center actually shoots threes, or this point guard actually right, is can a you, score first point guard? Can you well, if you that? if you go back, you can go back. There's always a few examples. Like, you can just kind of go chronologically from where we are now, go backwards. I think the Orlando Magic, like what in 2010 when they yeah, played the Lakers in the sure. finals, they they didn't play small, but they played a Dwight, ton of shooters he, he around Dwight, and R- Rashad, Rashad Lewis, Lewis at the yeah. four, Hito at the three, Jameer and and. Um, some of those guys, and Courtney then even Lee. before that, you had the the D'Antoni sons, yeah. obviously, yeah. who they obviously Amari's pretty big, like he was a big guy, but he was super skilled and athletic, and they were flying up and down the floor. Um, there's a bunch of teams like that, even like the '94 '95 Rockets. To go back right. to the Rockets, like mm-hmm. they played, they had Akeem in the middle, and they had a bunch of shooters. They shot mm-hmm. more more threes than than most of the teams in the league at that point. Do you um, see it ever like kind of going back to where it was? Probably would need to be a rule change. Pushing the three-point line back would be yeah, there. or or I mean the way you know if it defense if you get rid of illegal defense or if you you know shrink, you know shrink or expand the width of the the paint those sort of things. But I mean in theory, right? Like this is all whether it be led by Houston or just everyone else. This is just basketball is a game, and and you're finding more and more efficient ways to play the game. And within this set of rules, like these teams it's not just Houston it's everybody is making these adjustments like the Minnesota Timberwolves went from playing one style of play under under you know Tom Thibodeau and now they're playing this under Ryan Saunders which looks a lot more like Houston and if you go kind of across the board there's every team is sort of getting that direction so I guess I I just can't see any way that it would it would go back without something like instigating that. What right? if like a Shaq came back, like yeah. a Shaq two came back, and you just had a center who was like dominant, like Shaq was? Do you think that something like that could be the catalyst to sort of? Yeah, I guess it would need to be. I mean, you back me up here. It would need to be a center that demanded a double team on every single possession. Yeah. Otherwise, it was like he's scoring like 75% yeah. of the time. So right? my thing with that is like, it better be a handful of guys though. Yeah. Cause if it's one <laughs> yeah. team that has one dominant player, well, it's a one off. You're like, okay, well, we're not going to beat them that way. We're still going to just, we're going to try to spread them out yeah. and we're going to try to right. whatever, get them up out on the floor, guarding our guards, shooting threes, whatever. But I think what could be more likely is I don't think threes are going to go away unless like Dane said, if there's a rule change, but there could be, a situation where it's not small ball as much as it's just a bunch of six, eight, six, nine, six, ten 
dudes switch running around, everything. switch everything, shooting threes, handling it. You know what I'm saying? Like Sounds just like the Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> but like even the next level like up of guys, guys that are huge that can do everything yeah. on the floor, that kind of thing. So I think that's probably maybe the next step down the line. Right. But those threes, the threes are, I mean, it's just a mathematical advantage right now that, that's just not going to go away unless they stretch the line out or, or right. whatever. It makes it, it makes it interesting and, you know, Will, we've been going through the film on, on these draft prospects over the past month or so. And I think the hardest one that even if we like share the same opinion on the big, on, on a specific big, it's really, we've really struggled to like pin down, you know, where we would put them on our yeah. big board or the hierarchy of it. And it, it, it comes back to this of it's like, you know, what, what is the value of that, you know, of that player? Like, I think, I think James Wiseman and Obi Toppin are like really intriguing players on film, but, but then you, whether you're asking yourself of this from like an economic standpoint of like, what's the replacement level of a center financially, or just, to, just to be able to put someone out there and play like Houston does have Tyson Chandler. I mean, there's a lot of teams around the league who just have like one or two centers who aren't, aren't necessarily making a ton of money. Right. And it's there. And it, it really, I think it is really for us clouded, how to how to rank these guys? I think with o, for me for sure with Obi Toppin, if we were talking about this like five years ago, I would be much higher on him yeah. than I am now. Part of me thinks like if if basketball keeps trending the way it's going with everyone being able to shoot, and like part of me thinks five years from now, like the, if you can't shoot, like there you're just not going to be drafted. Like it's going to be that simple. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just – like, the Tyson Chandlers of the world, who's had an unbelievable career, and Will, I know you can't speak on it, but, like, guys like that, if you can't – if you're not a threat from the three-point line, I just – there's going to be a seven-footer who is a threat from the three-point line. So, yeah. it's to me, that's what's going to be really interesting to see, is guys who would be all-stars ten years ago might not <laughs> even get a chance to – Or just be right away into, like, a just a backup role, like you're, you're yeah. energy big off the bench or, 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 or something like that. It's – yeah, it is – and I think, I think it's just a – a fascinating question. It is, with yeah. The Tim, with, in general, and with the Timberwolves too, because you have Carl Anthony Towns, who, who is one of the most unique bigs right. in, in the league in this in this sort of way. Or, or I think a lot about like Joel Embiid, and I've thought about that through like the the lens of James Wiseman. And you're like, well, okay, yes, there's a ton of five million dollar a year centers on the league, but there's only a couple like Joel Embiid's and Carl Anthony Towns's and Kristaps Porzingis's, and those guys. Those guys, Will, to your point before, it's like those guys are the ones where you go, this this is the one-off where we need to we need to adjust differently, and we need to you know we need to care a little bit. We need to be more intentional about Kristaps Porzingis being on the the you know the scouting report than than you might other people. So I don't know. I think it, I think it's funny. Like five years from now, we'll we'll talk again and be like, yeah. remember yep. Will was working with the Rockets and, and like this is what they were doing. I just I don't know. I don't know how how novel it'll all sort right. of end right. up becoming um all right uh before we go let's just i want to talk we wanted to talk about kind of like just stories of of you you playing overseas and you coaching in the g league yeah will can you have a good you have a good <laughs> you have a good bus driving you have story, a good yeah you? i you do have a good, have a good bus driving story. story i want i want to i want to hear that yeah so i'll i'll uh i'll, I'll keep some of the specifics players <laughs> names out of it i don't know if they want me talking about them but it's not a bad story but um so we made when I was back working for Fort Wayne. We made a trade. And Fort Wayne Mad Ants is the Pacers G League. Correct. Team. There, correct. Yep. Um, Brian Levy's the GM, and Steve Gansey's the the head coach over there. Um, 
we made a trade right around the trade deadline, I believe, for a couple players. Um, those players were on the road playing against another team at the time, and there was it's a Fort Wayne. It's in the Midwest. There's a couple other teams that are in the Midwest area, and it was terrible weather. I think it was February-ish or maybe January, and uh, so the, all the flight there's are these players that we traded for were supposed to fly into Fort Wayne, get their physicals, and then go off with the team for the road game they had the next day. Well, the weather, all the flights were canceled. So, so it was very snowy. There was blizzards. So they were stranded in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, <laughs> so, which is how far from? So, so Fort Wayne, Indiana, is four and a half hours from Louisville, Kentucky, if if memory serves correctly. Um, so, I wake up at, gosh, it must be four or five a.m. Uh, to a text, and this isn't uncommon in the basketball field. Like, there's stuff comes up, or a coach is having an issue with video or whatever, and you get late night texts. Everyone has weird, weird sleeping habits at that point. But so I, I, I wake up and I read the text, and it's, um, it's an apology from my guy Chris Taylor. He's the assistant GM for the Mad Ants, and he's apologizing already, and he hasn't even asked me the question yet or asked if I could do this. So he ends up going on in the text to ask if I could drive to Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> And pick up these two players who were stranded at this hotel, and then drive them back to Fort Wayne. So that's that's four and a half there, four and a half back, and then two guys you just never met before. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, that, and then take them to the to their physicals that night when we get back, and then get them to their apartments and watch our game that our team was playing that night with them and help walk them through some of the X's and O's of what was going on. So it was so, a full day. So don't sleep. Drive nine hours. <laughs> Did you drive? Doctor. Didn't Coach you drive them. like a bus? I, it wasn't so like a car. Either. I I was originally gonna have to drive the bus, but the I talked. Right? Like the yes, big team the bus. big team shuttle bus. It's a twenty-four seat bus. It was <laughs> it was uh, one of my main roles in Fort Wayne, like like the G League. It's all hands on deck, but um, I I was able to just actually take my own truck. Luckily enough, uh, otherwise. I mean, but normally, the, the did you drive? The, did you drive the bus normally or at times? Didn't you? I drove the bus. I have a, I have a bus driver's license. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I drove. That was a big part of my role was was driving the bus. I only in market typically. Like I would, I would drive our team to practice every day, and I would pick up opposing teams at the airports and take them to the arena and stuff like that. It was a big part of the job. The first month, probably when I got in Fort Wayne, was studying for the test, studying for the inspection of the bus. You have to name like eighty-five <laughs> different parts underneath no the hood, way. inside no the bus, way. like on the dashboard, all that stuff, and you had to. It was it was quite the undertaking, but um, wow, yeah, valuable skills. That'll be one of those stories that twenty years from now right. will, will oh man stand out. Yeah, that's that's a classic right there. How do you um? I, I don't know if you guys are probably need to answer this together. Like, how do you think the overseas like leagues compare to the to the G League from like a? I mean, I can speak on the overseas. Will can speak on the G League. I think they're comparable in a way because like. So like a little messy. It's messy and it's not organized. Like, yeah, I, the G League is obviously a bigger deal than the league I played in France. But just like a lot. Well, I think of, the G League has really progressed. Maybe over yeah, the for last sure. Five. The Even G, since actually, I worked in it. Yeah, actually, since when I was in 2014, when I was in France, the I guess it was probably the D League then was yeah. wasn't mm-hmm. much. But yeah, just kind of like the like the stories like that where like their <laughs> assistant coaches driving the bus, like mm-hmm. little things like that are. Um, like you hear professional basketball and you kind of think like everything's like they roll the red carpet out for you, which is just not the case (laughs) unless you're actually in the NBA. Um, so I think there are probably some, some parallels. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, 
we do the best we can yeah. in those in those leagues with with the uh, constraints and stuff that we have. But there's definitely some the budgets are yeah the budgets a are a little smaller. different. The the cities are a little bit different. Right. The all that stuff is a little bit different. The technology, the arenas, the facilities. So it's uh it's <laughs> you're always gonna have some stories when you're in those two leagues or you yeah. know in Europe or in the G yeah. League. So have you heard Will's story about his first game playing in France? I don't think I have. <laughs> Do you want even want to? Yeah, tell? I'll tell. I mean, it's. <laughs> So my it's pretty funny. Yeah, it was a good story. My <laughs> you're like 23 I'm at the time 22, or something. 22. Yeah. Probably just fresh so, out of college, yeah. So I left for France on a Monday, Monday like late September. And so I left Monday night, Minnesota time. So I arrived like Tuesday morning in Paris. I drove from Paris to Limoges, which is like three hours. Mm-hmm. There was like this small like – press conference i guess like some media outlets again it's not like a huge team or anything but still like the media was there so i had to like officially sign my contract which i hadn't done yet which was a little nerve-wracking <laughs> yeah. in itself like i don't know if like something's gonna you always hear about stories about overseas yeah you so guys, I, did you call your lawyer up really quick or what <laughs> no I, I just crossed my fingers and hopped on the plane <laughs> the finance um, degree paid yeah. some dividends right there yeah but so like when you to be like a professional basketball player and to get paid like you need like a license like you would a license to teach or like anything really in the States. So they try to like expedite my license so I could play in our first game on Saturday. And when I got there, they're like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a long shot. Like if we can get it done by Friday, like you can play, everything will be great, but like, don't count on it. Like you're probably not going to play. And I was like, all right, that's fine. Like first week I would, I would love to play, yeah, but fine. like if I can't, I'm going to play the next game. So the, the GM of our team was like, we're going to know by Friday at 7 p.m. Like, if you don't hear by Friday at 7, like, you're not playing Saturday. Mm. So I'm like, all right. So we practice Wednesday. We practice Thursday. I finally move into my apartment Friday. So I'm, like, finally settled in. Like, I'm, you know, I'm feeling comfortable. I'm over the jet lag. And we practice Friday, and I still haven't heard anything about, like, if I got my license to play. So, and my teammates are asking me, like, hey, did you get it? Like, are you, are you going to play tomorrow? And I'm like, no, I haven't heard. I, we'll see. Um, seven o'clock rolls around. I go home. Like I make dinner. Like I'm not going to do anything Friday night. Like I just kind of moved in and it's like 10 o'clock and nothing, no words. So I'm like, I'm like in my mind, I'm already like, I'm not playing. Right. My phone rings and like my phone was like away from me. So I heard my phone ring. So I got really excited. I'm like, this is going to be the GM. And I looked and it was like one of the vets on our team. Who's like 38 years old and never played like end of the bench guy. Okay. So he's calling me and I, I barely even know him. Um, so I pick it up and he's like, Hey, did you, are you playing tomorrow? Like, did you hear? And I'm like, no, nah, I didn't hear. So, so I'm not playing. He's like, no worries. He's like, I'm going to come pick you up. I'm going to, I'm going to take you over to my place for a little bit and uh, just we're, we're going to hang out. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, cool. I'm not going to say no, like whatever. I'm not playing. Tomorrow. You have to. I mean, yeah. So he comes, picks me up. We go to his place. We end up staying out to like 6am like, <laughs> going to bars and clubs. Like it's my first real night out in France. And, the whole time, I'm like, thank God I'm not playing tomorrow. Like, yeah. this, this would suck. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so I go to bed literally like at 6 a.m. My phone starts ringing at like 8 a.m. It's my GM. and Good news. He, he, <laughs> he calls me. He's like, hey, good news. We got the, we got the thing. You're playing. And I'm like. What time's the game at? Like 7. And I, so I have time. But I'm like the type of hungover where like you can't get out of bed. Like uh, off two hours of sleep. So oh, now I'm like. Man. I'm like. I've sort of this sounds cliche. I've like waited my whole life to play like a professional basketball game, <laughs> and now I can't even get out of bed to like go to the bathroom on Saturday morning. Oh, so I obviously I, I I mustered it up and and like it was. How'd you do? How'd you play? I think I 
played okay. Did you survive? I, I, mean, I, I you survived. didn't embarrass we, yourself? We won. Okay. We won, okay. which is um, – but it was, like, a huge crowd. Like, anytime you get an American over, like, especially a new American, they kind of all, like – They're interested. Want to yeah. come out and watch you play. And um, The next day after the game, actually, I was at the grocery store, and I was checking out. Like, this was right after the game. I didn't drink Saturday night. I was – I was <laughs> only do. So I was checking out, and the, the people in the aisle next to me – there was like a mom and like an eight-year-old kid. I'll never forget this. The kid in France, in France, to his mom was like, you know, there's the there's the joueur américain, which means like there's the American basketball player. Mm. And and I'm like trying to listen, but have them not know I'm listening. And the mom looks at me because you can speak French, and I can speak French, so I, yeah. I can hear everything. And the mom looks at me. And then looks back at her kid and goes, oh, no, he's way too short. <laughs> and I, like, just pretended I didn't hear it. I wanted to, like, say oh, something. So funny. Uh, but that was the, oh, the day man. after my first game in the grocery store the next that day. That is unbelievable. Uh, did, you, did you consider playing overseas at all? No. I, it was the kind of thing where if I really wanted to pursue it, there may have been an opportunity. But I, it was never the kind of thing that I was, like, serious about. I, mm-hmm. I was taking some, some interviews for a couple, like, corporate business jobs um my senior year i thought i would maybe do something with that and then kind of halfway through my senior season i was like nah i'm like i'm staying in basketball i gotta do something in basketball so that's when i started kind of actually for a year after i graduated i coached high school um at benilte markets which is where i went to high school because i couldn't get a job in the league or anything like that so i did the next best thing and Coached at high school for a year and had a had a fun time then came to vegas with me and (laughs) exactly that's exactly right Yeah, yeah for sure um I think that's about all we got for today as far as time goes. Thank you for doing this. Yes, um, sir. We'll do it again maybe after the season's over. Let's see see yeah. what how the how everything plays out for you. You do think that you will be going to Orlando if the Yeah, it seems it seems that way as long as nothing crazy happens. It seems like uh seems like that's gonna happen. So yeah. Man, what a like a I mean just for, for us, like how memorable this for everyone, right? Like how memorable twenty twenty is going to be. <laughs> because of just how much our lives have changed. But, like, for <laughs> for you, whatever, your, your first year in the league, and now mm-hmm. you're going to go be sequestered in <laughs> Orlando with James Harden for <laughs> two months. I mean, it's just it's just kind yeah. of – that's kind of a, you know, obviously going to be a memorable year. And, I mean, I think you guys just have optimism around your organization that this is, like, you know, something that you're all excited for. For sure, no doubt. I mean – I can't really speak to like the specific. I don't really know any detail. I mean, you guys, you yeah. guys, we read Woj's and Shams's <laughs> tweets like I do. That's pretty much the extent. Of, and we have staffly meetings every every uh, weekly meetings every week. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I think uh, we're is pretty Orlando, excited. And we're, don't say it if you, is Orlando like is it a done deal? That it's, it's been re- it's been reported. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, I mean, it's yeah, it's just it's that's what everyone's saying. I I, I don't think anything's officially decided or anything right. like that. Yeah, we're uh, recording this at the end of May, and it's I mean, sounds like the Silver's meeting with the Board of Governors and stuff later this week. Yep. And Dave, I, I would mean, you d- would you travel with the Wolves if they oh end no, up playing dude, games? Media is going to. Oh, I was going to ask you that too. Media is going to be. Uh, it's going to be tight, probably, huh? Yeah. I mean, for a long time. I'm, quite frankly, I'm concerned. Like just going forward, you know of. Um, I mean, with there's going to be less contact with players and people in general, and mm. like you know, if coaching staffs already are going to be cut down of right. not being essential personnel, like then media um, obviously is going to be part of, not part of that too. And I, I think you know, we've talked about this before. Like for me, um, like the in locker room interactions are such an important part yeah. of me mm-hmm. being able to do my job and get to know the players and understand and get and get them to be comfortable with me. Like just being able to talk to them 
Then, so then you think go, that might change going forward? Just yeah, forever. I, I, think, might be I a, think it probably will, and I think that's going to be that's going to be bad for a journalist, for journalists, and I, I quite frankly, I think it's going to be bad for the league too because because if, if you when you take that away, it's like you now you're, you're starting to limit the access to to the players and for the teams to be known, and that's part of the product. It's like yeah, the three of us like we love the basketball of it. But you know, I mean, think about how many people out there are just—they're following the NBA through House of Highlights, right? And mm-hmm. they're and they're watching the little cell phone videos from the locker room and stuff like that, right? Well, what if there's just never locker room access again for that? You 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 lose you're gonna lose a ton of that, and then you only have the—I mean, <laughs> I could go on with this because obviously it's, I'm frustrated with it, but <laughs> I, I I get it too. But I really think it's gonna be um, like it's not just gonna be this year where there are gonna be restrictions for for coaches. Or for or for media members in, in this whole thing that that limit us as to I don't know li- limit the fans <laughs> to to the players and the fans right. pay the bills like yeah. that's yeah. that's you know that's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of more things a lot more things to come like step one Orlando you know this season and, and make all that happen but for for anybody who works in works in sports across the board like everything's everything's really changing mm-hmm. um we'll we'll do we'll get back to our Next our week? guards next week for next week's pod. Who are you guys doing? Who are we doing? Tyrell Terry and Trey we are okay. Yeah, we'll All do right. we'll do those two the Minnesota guys. We have so many people have reached out with like suggestions of how to hack the internet for Lamelo Ball film. So I think <laughs> I've I've got a couple, okay. but uh, we'll 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 still get there at that. I think I think actually we'll have real basketball to talk about um, sometime soon too. So, but until then, that's Will Deberg at W Deberg fourteen. I don't know what your Twitter is. Uh, you guys don't want to follow me on Twitter anyway, but my, my Twitter is well done 35 W E L L D U N N 35. When did you make that Twitter handle? Uh, probably my sophomore year of high school, <laughs> I want to say, but there's nothing there. It's a private account anyway, so yeah. don't bother. Um, well, thank you for doing this seriously. It's cool to yeah, be able to talk and just see you. I haven't seen you since summer league last year. Yeah. 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 I didn't see you when we came to play the Wolves, huh? Oh no. Yeah, we did. I, did. I, th- I, th- yeah. I thought I saw right, you, right. but. Maybe it was Will brief. got me tickets. It's I was the running only Timberwolves game I went to this year was Will's tickets. <laughs> you can come to our next year. All right, that's Will. Will, I'm Dane. Till next week. Uh, peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops. Yeah. Green and hot, so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around. Yeah. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.